welcome. This is your bi-weekly, tri-weekly, depends on the month, uh, <laughs> edition of Tim Points Presents News You Can Use. I'm James, and with me is Sonera. Hello. And Marge, uh, R.I.P. Marge. Uh, R.I.P. Pour one out for Marge. She is sick, um, and hopefully that's all. She will be back with us soon. Um, so yeah, we've got a cool app for you today. We do an interview with our friend, uh, comrade Vaya Saran, about proportional representation in British Columbia, the ongoing referendum, uh, Vancouver City Council, how it's infested with uh, Greens, aka Conservatives on Bikes. We just briefly discussed our plan to illegally interfere with the referendum, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, starts probably at about the 25 or 30 minute mark of this if you wanted to skip into that but before that we're gonna chit chat about some other um well actually these things are more bad uh <laughs> but yeah I, I, was, I was trying to keep things on a light note but yeah a lot of a lot of shit's been happening in ontario uh mm-hmm. tanera did you want to just jump right into what's going on there especially around uh housing and such sure um Before I do that, just a reminder, everyone who hasn't gotten their illegal BC referendum Mm -hmm. uh, ballot into us, please get it to us as soon as possible. Yeah. We will be taking them on the road very soon so that we can get to BC in time. And we want to make sure that U-Haul is stacked to the brim. So we need to win this one, folks. ASAP. This is our long game of uh, installing the uh, Communist Party in British Columbia, and we can't do it without you. So Yes. I was trying to remember what that one... There was that one Communist Party candidate in BC. Oh, yeah. When, was that in the federal election or in the provincial election there? God, I can't remember, but that was so cool. Because yeah. like, he, ba- he basically told like a libertarian candidate that he was going to take all his stuff. Yeah. It was, it was really neat. Shouts out to that guy. See, see, that could be your next premier, British Columbia. Exactly. Yeah. And that's so. why it's so important that we all illegally vote in that referendum. Yeah. So we can install that particular candidate as premier. Yeah. Shouts out to that guy. Yeah. Um, but until then, we've got a lot of other uh, issues to deal with. Um, rent control. Yes. It is... No longer. I mean, I, yeah. I guess it wasn't. I, I guess it even wasn't around for that long, technically speaking. But well, yeah. It's, so it's kind of it's kind of complicated, um, and there was a lot of confusion when the new rent control rules were first announced um, because of the wording in right. the PCs bill. Uh, so there was some confusion about if rent control would go away for. I think the wording is um, newly rented or something like that. Right, right. And so some people were saying, okay, this is basically resetting the clock because when... So there was rent control in Ontario for quite a while. And when the Mike Harris government was elected in 1997, Mm -hmm. I think, they got rid of rent control going forward. So everything that was already built and rented out was still covered everything that was newly built was not covered by rent control. Mm -hmm. And then last year, the Liberal government um, brought everything that had been built since 1997 and going forward under rent control. And then this past week, the PCs basically moved that 1997 date up to 2018. So it's still 
it's now everything that's been built and rented out before November 15th, 2018 is covered by rent control. Everything newly built is not covered. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also the case that as soon as someone leaves their apartment um, and there's a new lease lessor, I think is the word. Anyway, right. as soon as there's a new person on the lease, rent control goes away and then resets. Oh shit. I didn't, I didn't know that part. I thought yeah. it was just like, if there's like new like rental units, like constructed, but this is for, this is just if someone leaves their place and then it could potentially. Well, this uh, is how it worked before too. So, okay. Right. Um, cause there's, there's a different term for if rent controls continue regardless of people living there or not. Right. If it's like um, fixed to the unit as opposed to the lease yeah, kind of thing. As yeah. opposed to the person. Yeah. So the way it works now and the way it worked, this part hasn't changed with any progressive conservative legislation this year, but the way it works is that it's basically rent control like follows the tenant. Sort mm-hmm. of. So okay. when I sign a lease from then on, the landlord can't increase the rent above whatever guideline the landlord tenant board sets this year. It's 1.8%. Right. And then, um, so like if I'm renting an apartment for $800, it can only go up by not that, I mean, renting an apartment for $800 <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in, in heaven where I'm renting an apartment yeah. for $800 in Toronto in 2018, <laughs> they can only increase the rent by 1.8% or around there. But then as soon as I leave, if I've lived in that apartment for 10 years during the height of the housing boom, then mm-hmm. they could rent that apartment out for $2,000 to the next Jesus. Person. Wow. Um, and that's just the way it's always been. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty bad. And they brought this change to rent control in using the same shitty arguments that are always made, which is that rent control is like um, hindering people's like developers ability to build rental housing. And that's why there's a crunch of rental housing and the mm-hmm. crunch of rental housing supply is why rents are so high. Um, and so if we just get rid of rent control and landlords can charge whatever they want for rent or whatever the market wants, uh, then magically somehow it will become financially feasible to buy exorbitantly expensive land in Toronto and build housing that somehow people can afford. Ugh, it's like, it's such a fucking deranged like argument. Like the entire point of like social housing or low income housing is that like nobody's really making profit off of it because like it, like housing is kind of viewed as like a social good. And like, there, I know that there's all these kind of like arrangements which basically like give like kickbacks to developers, like to incentivize them to like build this shit. But like if the province actually gave a shit about affordability or like low income housing, they would just build it themselves and then they would own it and rent it out. It's just like, yeah. it's, it's such a ridiculous, like, it, I mean, it's obviously bullshit, but um, yeah, you see this kind of narrative, like, even if it's not quite this explicit, you'll see it like all over the place. Like, oh, you need to, yeah, like, uh, relax zoning laws or whatever. Or, like, I mean, there was a talk in the election about like opening up the green belt mm-hmm. because we needed to do that in order to build more housing, which will in turn, uh, decrease, uh, the price of rent. It's like, no, it fucking won't. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
Um, yeah, and I mean, a big part of the problem right now is land is incredibly expensive. So right. unless you're giving developers like enormous kickbacks, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it is just not possible to build for profit housing mm-hmm. that isn't incredibly expensive, and that's why we're right, seeing right. so many um, luxury condos being built here. Because mm. in order to make a profit on buying land and putting in the construction costs and whatever else you need to do, in order to make a profit after you spent all that money, you need to either sell or rent those units for a huge sum of money. Right. So, and then also there's a market for that kind of thing because, like, the global capitalist class is truly global. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are people who want to have, like, a pieta tear in 20 different cities. <laughs> and then there are right. also people who will buy really expensive uh, condos and then rent them out. Hmm. And there are like the housing crisis has trickled up so much that there are people who in a different city where housing didn't cost su- such an insane amount, they would be homeowners. And they're the kind of people mm. who both want to be homeowners and have like really well-paying jobs, but here Mm -hmm. they're renters. And so they're renting these fancy luxury condos that average people can't afford, but those people can. Right. So basically what I'm trying to say is the problem (laughs) is like, if you crunch the numbers, yeah, I'm sure we do need more housing at all. Sure. But the problem is that, first of all, we don't need nearly as much more housing as people think we do. Because there's like 90,000 homes, like houses and units, that are sitting empty That's uh, fucking... in Toronto. Yeah, oh my 90, god. 90,000. Um, and there's plenty of like public land that's not part of the green belt. Yeah. But the city like is giving away to developers to build luxury housing. What we need is like you already said, we need housing that is not built with an eye to making a profit because that, even at the best of times, that's like a losing proposition for poor people mm-hmm. and lower working lower pe- working class people on like the lower economic stratum of that group. Yeah. It yeah. works out okay for upper level working class people and middle class people usually. But as soon as you have developers and landlords trying to extract profit from housing it's all all of the costs are hinged on that as opposed Mm -hmm. to being hinged on what can people afford to pay and there are a lot of people in toronto who don't make a lot of money and those people need housing too yeah yeah definitely what we need is to build housing with an eye to providing housing for the people who need it and especially providing housing for the people at the lowest end of the economic spectrum who need it. Mm-hmm. The way yeah. that, I don't know if this is maybe not the ideal way to phrase it because um, even like referencing trickle down economics, I'm like a little weary <laughs> of. But the way that I think about this and that I think might be a useful way to think of it um, is like trickle up housing clearly seems right. to work. Like if you provide yeah. enough housing for the people who can't afford to pay anything and for the people who are on disability and on Ontario works and other forms of relief. And if mm-hmm. you provide like 
what I would love to see is so much quality, like not super fancy, but quality, livable yeah. social housing that even me, someone who's like not making a lot of money, but like I'm definitely not about to be registering for social housing because there's so many more right, people who right. need it. So if we built so much social housing that everyone like me could move into it if we wanted to, mm-hmm. and then all the people who want to live in the private housing market, I mean, ideally, we're eventually getting rid of that altogether. But while <laughs> yeah. it still exists, if yeah. we have so much social housing that people like me can move into social housing, um, and there's no lack of it, like it's there's like hundreds of thousands of units of it, Mm-hmm. then that also takes off some of the pressures on the private housing market mm-hmm. and makes it easier for people who want to rent an apartment or buy a small home or something. It makes it easier mm-hmm. for people to do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We've got to be thinking of the condo the condo market. Got to yes. be, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but it does bring to mind, like, two things, like, related to Toronto. is like there's the um, Sidewalk Labs, which mm-hmm. is, like, the whole, like, dystopic Google project where Toronto just gave this, like, a, like absurdly prime real estate to fucking Google with really, like, very little oversight. And there's, like, it feels like there's a new article every week where it's, like, holy shit, like, Google is not giving us any information. Uh, they're not telling us how they're going to use any of the data they collect. Um, so Toronto, like, clearly has, like, land that they uh, feel comfortable giving to, you know, create these kind of, like, Blade Runner conditions. Um, but then I also think of, like, Jennifer Kiesmet's, um, you know, uh, campaign for mayor, and, like, her whole proposal was, uh, and, like, her background is also basically working with developers to build nonprofit housing. It's like, what the, f- like, not, like, nothing that you're saying makes sense. It's like, if you take a step back and think for, like, 10 seconds, it's like, this is not going to work. It's never worked. Like, I don't know why they think it's going to work, but um, she's going to, Heralded as like the progressive candidate, which is yeah. uh, pretty pretty not good. I spent so much time trying to figure this out during the election um, to figure out how she came to be universally regarded as a progressive. Yeah, and to the best of my abilities of like recalling her time as chief city planner in Toronto, because she was also considered a progressive at that time. Hmm. To the best of my understanding, it's basically because she advocated for transit and bike lane infrastructure. Yeah, completely. Both of those things are clearly good, but advocating for better transit and more bike lanes downtown. I shouldn't say that. I don't know if she only advocated for bike lanes downtown. But advocating for like bike lanes and a little bit more transit does not make you someone who is genuinely invested in creating a livable city when the barriers to this city being livable for so many people are so high right now that it takes, Mm -hmm. it takes like, it doesn't take just a little bit of tinkering so that like someone can ride their bike down the street to get to work from the apartment that they can afford. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, there's people can't afford to live anywhere. Like racialized people have been and are being priced out of the core, but they still have to get down there for their jobs. And like, we need much more radical solutions, even within the framework of like, this is a capitalist city in a capitalist country and we're not going to change that. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. without going there, we still need like really dramatic changes. And she was not offering those at all. Yeah. And like being pro transit does not, it's like not intrinsically progressive. Like, yeah, transit's obviously like, it's oftentimes good, but it can also be 
like extremely displacing um, if uh, it's not also paired with like actual social housing policies that like, you know, make sure that if a new light rail system goes in, it doesn't push out, uh, you know, uh, low income communities of color from, mm-hmm. from around it and like all those kind of things. And oftentimes transit is used as a way to kind of attract um, sort of tech hubs and like just the relationship between transit and like, you know, uh, the Elon Musk types and that kind of thing and how transit becomes co-opted. And it's just like, there's so many things like, just cause Kismet is, uh, you know, ostensibly in favor of streetcars doesn't make her like a progressive, which, yeah. And it, like, I think a lot of these questions were wrestled with, uh, and promoted by our friends at Alberta Advantage when they, mm-hmm. um, single-handedly shot down the 2026 Calgary Olympics bid. So good work, uh, Alberta yes. Advantage. Some very, yeah, some very, um, inspiring, uh, work by you. And I saw that Derek Fildebrandt, who, is Alberta's political fail son. We've talked about him many times. He eventually got booted by the UCP because he subletted a government-subsidized apartment on Airbnb and was involved in a hit-and-run and illegally poached a deer. Um, but anyways, he uh, he formed his own party and just tweeted recently that he listened to Alberta Advantage's uh, podcast on the Olympics and liked the first half um, until he got to the second half, uh, where apparently it was all a bunch of Marxist propaganda. So... Um, yeah, good work to those folks. Uh, and I don't know, like it it is kind of like a good example once again of like the urban boosters and like how frustrating they are because they will focus on like, oh, the Olympics, it's so good for, you know, city spirit and it's going to bring so much investment. And it's like, well, it's also going to, you know, displace enormous numbers of people and it's going to increase policing. Um, and like all these kind of things. So it was really good to see like, um, not only a right wing opposition to the Olympics, but also a left wing one mm-hmm. because, uh, that's oftentimes missing. So the Olympics are bad. Definitely yeah. agree. Also big shout out to Alberta advantage, uh, co-host Kate Jacobson, because she was quoted in at least one CBC article about the rejection of yeah. Calgary hosting it. And she had a line that I feel like we should all try to include if or when we're ever interviewed about something political slash economic. Um, she said that budgets are moral documents mm-hmm. uh, in reference to Calgary's austerity politics that is happening while they were trying to um, win this bid to host the Olympics. And I feel like that's just like a really clarifying way to Mm -hmm. think about politics and economics and be like, yeah, okay, it's good to think about, like, bringing money into the city, but money for who and for what. Exactly, yeah. And it's like, it's going to grow the the city's GDP by X amount. It's like, okay, like, but, yeah, like you say, like, who is that money going towards and who is it basically sacrificing in order to uh, make that money? Um, Another thing that we should shout out, Kate for saying, and that we should try to integrate into our uh, interviews with CBC, uh, is uh, Canada sucks ass. Yes. Uh, Please join us in our campaign to let the world know that Canada sucks ass. Yeah. Tweet at Jason Kennedy, Canada sucks ass. Tweet at Unite Alberta. Yep. Tweet at Unite Alberta. Tweet at anybody who seems to be expressing the opposite opinion that Canada does not suck ass and disabuse them of that notion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Once again, inspiring. Uh, thank you for your service. Uh, Kate, Canada sucks ass Jacobson. Uh, (laughs) 
Finally, um, before we segue into our interview, um, just thought it would be good to leave on some other inspiring uh, notes, uh, including uh, British Columbia launches a $10 per day daycare at 53 centers, uh, eight on Vancouver Island, um, and that's until March 2020. Um, it's basically an attempt to uh, what they call explore the feasibility of universal affordable childcare. So that is super good stuff. Mm-hmm. Other stuff is Alberta NDP's education minister, Dave Egan, um, is threatening to pull funding for 28 private schools because they will not sign on to a document which basically um, asserts that they support gay straight alliances. Uh, it would be great if he just pulled funding for all private schools, but this is uh, this is a good start towards the revolutionary uh, praxis of uh, only public schools. Because mm-hmm. if you're going to... Finally, um, I thought we could just give some quick notes on inspiring organizing that's happening in our own cities. Uh, we had a really cool Fight for 15 and Fairness Manitoba event the other night where... There's like there's like thirty or maybe even forty people who gathered at the downtown library. They have this like makerspace thing where they have like three D printers and button makers and all that kind of shit. And uh, a bunch of people came and made buttons, stickers, patches, all that sort of thing um, to sort of like promote uh, Fight for Fifteen, so that they can you know go home and have th- their own stuff that they made uh, to kind of like wear and to help um, tell people about what's going on with that and. We also had a cool event related to housing the other night uh, with the tenants, a local tenants committee, where we um, brought together a bunch of people who are being kind of victimized by this specific one property management company. And it was just uh, very enlightening and uh, kind of sickening just to hear so many stories from the same the same company, um, but also like kind of inspiring because you have these people who are even living in the same buildings um, who may not uh, know that each other are going through it and kind of seeing. Um, Networks of Solidarity built that way. Uh, So, yeah, that was neat. Tanera, is there anything that you wanted to update about Toronto organizing? You took a good picture of uh, John Kay at the uh, Steve Bannon and uh, David Froome rally. Yeah, so that that was a good rally outside the Monk debate. There were... I think about a thousand people, and we yelled at a lot of people who were going in to see the fascist and the warmonger debate different visions of white nationalism. <laughs> nice. uh, I got into a couple of arguments with people about it. So wow. that's kind of cool. Like, um, like did, did you go in yelling and then they responded or how did that go? Well, like there was one, there was one guy who was, there were barricades between the lineup of attendees and the mass of protesters. And there was a guy on the protester side of the barricade who was like very business Kind of, kind of business right. casual dress. Yeah. Um, and he was filming, which lots of people were doing, but he was only filming the protesters. And after oh, I wow. saw him for a few minutes, I was like, okay, if this dude had just been a well-dressed protester, he would not be filming us and mm-hmm. like not participating in any of the chants, not even looking at the people who are going in. Clearly, he's like attending. So I walked over and asked him about that. And he was yeah. like, yes, of course I am. He was extremely smug. It was very annoying. But we got into a bit of an argument. And then later Was he on, filming you? What? Like, was he filming you as you argued? No, no, I don't I don't think so. I think he put his phone away when oh, okay. I went to talk to him. Nice. Um, and then later on, we sort of moved a little further north. And we had taken over the sidewalk. Uh, and then we took over the intersection. And we were sort of 
intermingling with like the tail end of the lineup of attendees. Wow. And got into a, a couple arguments there. So that was very heartening to see so many people show up and like Definitely. I would guess that the the vast majority of the people there were protesting both Steve Bannon and David Frum. Nice. Not just Steve Bannon, so that was good. And then there was uh there was a uh, I'm trying to remember what the word was. I don't think it might have been that they called it a vigil. But anyway, there was a sort of action right outside um, York University campus a couple weeks ago because someone died at a food factory that's like a oh, block fuck, away that's from right. campus. Yeah. And it's um, a factory run by a company that's like very well known for its Fiesta Foods, very well known mm, for mm-hmm. mistreating their workers and having like lots of temp workers. So we gathered and talked about that and then we walked like half a block to the factory to put a little like we taped something on the sidewalk and put some flowers down a Mm -hmm. little memorial for the worker who died and Mm -hmm. uh the security workers were not happy about that which wow it was like a little tense and weird but totally um, and then there's uh i think the the vote on bill 47 in ontario Mm -hmm. which is going to if it is enacted it'll strip the rights that were won in Bill 148 last year, the labor mm-hmm. law improvements and the $15 minimum wage. That vote is happening on Tuesday, so there's a plan to pack the gallery and nice. uh, hopefully stop that. And then yeah. I don't know what's happening with this yet, um, but on Saturday, yesterday for us right now, uh, on Saturday the Ontario PCs voted to... Uh, I think the language was that they are going to discuss within the party the idea of taking um, what they call gender identity theory mm-hmm. out of public education. So it's, as far as I understand it, they're, I mean, it's a party bill, so or it's a party right, platform right. plank now. So it's not, um, it's not a law, it's not happening right now, but it's very scary and dangerous. And I'm not sure what kind of organizing is happening to oppose that yet, but I, I've seen a lot of people talking about wanting to get involved. So I would imagine that there's going to be some activism around that. Um, I think the 519 is a good organization to mm-hmm. look at if you're in Ontario or not in Ontario and you want to know what's happening with that. I think that's all the activism. Cool. Not all um, of it, obviously. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. But uh, no, thanks for that. <laughs> That's and all uh, in in regards to uh, that uh, resolution that was that was passed by the party, um, Gwen Benaway uh, is a really good person to follow. Um, they were tweeting a lot yesterday, just sort of about uh, potential impacts on on trans peoples and especially youth. Um, so definitely give her a follow if you're uh, interested in kind of learning more about that situation. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, really, really horrific. Uh, and you know, it obviously brings to mind that famous column by Jen Gearson about how Doug Ford, we need to relax. Everything's going to be okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I think that's it for us. We've got an interview coming up next, uh, with Vyas Saran, uh, as mentioned, uh, he's going to be talking about proportional representation, Vancouver, uh, city council and other stuff like that. Um, you can find us on Twitter. Tanera, did you want to give the Twitter? Cause I always fuck it up. Yes, I would love to, James. <laughs> <laughs> it's twitter.com slash news you can use, spell it N-E-W-S letter U C A N 
Y-O-U-S-E, news you can use. Nice. Twitter.com. So easy. And then patreon.com slash news you can use if you would like to uh, give us money. Um, some of you are really generous with uh, your donations, and we really appreciate it. And something that we've discussed is... Um, beginning to um give a little like thank you amount a little stipend uh to people who come on the show because uh, i know that you know people do take time out of their days to do it and it's really appreciated by us and i'm sure you are listeners as well so yeah we'll update with some more information about that uh too and thank you to andre goulet for helping produce the show you can check out his show uh, it's on Ricochet. It's called Unpacking the News. Also available on iTunes. And Jason Vezina for making our theme song. And for all of you, our uh, loyal listeners, for checking it out. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, blah, blah, blah. Um, anything else that I'm missing, Tanera? I don't think so. I think that's it. Okay, cool. Thank you and enjoy the interview. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Welcome back. Um, this week we have with us Vyas Soren, who's going to tell us about um, the BC electoral reform referendum and hopefully talk a little bit about the recent Vancouver election. Um, Vyas, can you tell us a little bit about yourself first and why uh, you're so interested in the referendum? Yeah, thanks for having me on uh, in the first place. Um, so I, uh, I'm a law student at the University of Victoria right now. Uh, I've, in terms of past, like, I'm a policy researcher as well and a writer. I've had some stuff. Uh, I've just been doing some freelance work, and I was really lucky to work with the Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives uh, for the last few months, uh, up until school started. And I kind of fell into that job just because I also fell ass backwards into some master's course a few years back, and I just happened to end up studying under like one of the research gods of like electoral reform uh in Canada and uh so I just happened to have all this information and I got snuck into a job that was pretty much only for master's students even though I didn't have that um so sorry to take something away uh for master's students there um but uh I'd kind of always like been interested in electoral systems uh mostly because uh just frustration with the electoral system uh and just the inherent unfairness of uh of what we have um but also just coming to learn that like you can't really follow up on you, you can't really legislate against a lot of the biggest issues that we have uh especially something like climate change it's just in a, there's some topics that uh take longer than 4 years to figure out it turns out um and those problems are kind of impossible to solve uh, uh, on this sort of system where you're only working for the weekend. And so PR, you really see, like, uh, Seth Klein at CCPA def- like, kind of describes it as, like, you're kind of blowing open the prospects for, uh, for progressive politics under, under PR. And I try not to say that too much in my more research roles, but, like, <laughs> yeah. that's genuinely what I believe, and that's why, that's why I do it. And... Uh, uh, yeah, like I don't think we can do what we we need to do without uh, fixing this electoral system first. Cool, cool. Um, so, can you give us like a, a sort of a rundown on, on what this particular referendum is? Um, you know, like kind of how it came to be, uh, and you know, timelines and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, British Columbia is this is actually the third referendum that we've had um, in the last twenty years. I think we may have had some in the fifties, nice. uh, to change our electoral system towards something more proportional. Cause we've had some pretty, 
messed up results where the party with more votes ended up coming in second. In a two-party system, that's really weird. Uh, yeah. you, you see that sometimes in multi-party systems. But So the NDP sort of ran on, uh, if we win, we're going to try to work on pro-rep. And we didn't think they were going to do it, but the mm. fact that the Greens held uh, the knife to their throat uh, when it came to building um, the confidence and supply agreement, which is, so they're not a coalition government, it's just they're supporting them. Mm -hmm. uh, and part of that is they have to hold this referendum. And that's actually a big reason why the Greens haven't really been sticking it to the NDP when it comes to like Site C and stuff, because uh, they need this to go through before uh, or else they just won't exist after this election, most likely. Right. Um, and so it took a long time and... Uh, we were pretty surprised that they came out with such a thorough referendum. There are a lot of problems with it, but it's a pretty fair referendum compared to the past where you, voters get a pretty simple question to start off with. It's just mm -hmm. yes or no. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a pro-rep. And then if anybody wants to, they can vote between different options. Uh, Unfortunately, a lot of people have focused more on the second part of the question. I was hoping the first question would get bolded on the on the ballot, and the second one would, yeah. I don't know, maybe be on a separate page or something for the folks who would really want to check it out. But um, but it's good because it gives people the it gives people the power in the end to choose which system we actually get instead of just leaving it to politicians. Mm -hmm. And uh, it also it it also and. They're all pretty similar in terms of uh, ensuring that there's a lot of regional representation, too. Um, but all in all, I like this referendum. It's way better than the ones in the past. And what's been really cool is that like, some people might not like this, but it's a politicized referendum. Mm -hmm. And often in the past, you don't see the political parties actually take a side. And that ends up kind of having a chilling effect because a lot of voters don't pick a side if their side hasn't picked a side. Um, mm. And so... In the last two referendums, in like I think it was like '04 and '09, uh, the NDP didn't pick a side. The BC Liberals technically didn't pick a side, even though they just pretty much went for no. Mm -hmm. uh, and so a lot of progressive voters, who are the ones usually excited by this, kind of didn't know what to do. And so it's been nice seeing John Horgan actually come out pretty strongly in favor of pro rap and stuff. Seeing seeing there be like. Some like, especially like legislative reporters out in BC, who've had mm -hmm. a lot of problems with on this topic. Yeah. Uh, they're like criticizing the politicization. I'm like, well, it's this is probably the way it should it should be going. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like it, it's politics. Yeah. So I have one quick question and one that's a little longer. Um, is this referendum um, binding? Like, are they? Are we just taking their word, the NDP's word, that they're going to um, take the results of the referendum and enact them, or have they, are they um, committed to that in a more concrete way? Pretty, pretty short answer. Yeah, it's binding. Um, okay. Nice. I, I think all the ones in the past that we've had, or at least the last two, have also been binding. So every time I heard stuff about like PEI's uh, gong show that happened, uh, mm -hmm. that was just a complete shock to me. Um, yeah, no, I'm just it's just it's it's such a weird idea to me to hold, to do that, but uh but yeah, we've been pretty lucky that that's not going to happen at all. Uh okay. it's 50% plus 1. Uh if we get it, we get it. Nice. I could totally see the BC Liberals try to delegitimize it and they've already tried to do that by saying stuff like mm. oh, turnout's been super low or something, even though it hasn't. 
um, or that it's been lower than in referendums in the past, uh, even though it hasn't, and that the process is bad, even though we're using the same process that the BC Liberals had. So uh, hmm. I don't think they have too much of a leg to stand on. And so, yeah, we're, it's going to be a pretty decisive day once we find out what happens. Yeah. When, when will that be? Like, when will we know? Good question. I think, like, the 30th is supposed to be the last day of it. Um, okay. It seems like the postal strike... Uh, might have an impact on how long it takes. Also, oh. that might actually... Uh, there, there's been long talks since we started hearing about uh, the rumblings of the CUPW strike starting that uh, that we might have to extend it, and the BC government's been okay with the idea of that. So, mm-hmm. But they seem to have been... like It's been taking a little bit extra time to count, I think, but that's the only, that's the only issue, it seems to be. Like Some people mm. may have not been getting their ballots, but... Uh, I hear that it's it takes like two minutes to contact Elections BC and get and get them to send you a new one. So, right. um, and you mentioned that this referendum um, is better than some of the previous ones, but that it still has a few flaws. What are some of the problems that you have with it? Because I've been on the advocacy side, I think I haven't thought about the problems too much with it. Uh, okay. <laughs> there's some there's some issues with uh, like some of the things I've heard people say. Um, maybe not all on the no side either, is that maybe they did want like a turnout threshold. Like uh, one of the concerns has been like, oh, do we want 15% of the province deciding our whole electoral system? And Mm -hmm. I mean, my first response to that is always, well, we don't have turnout minimums for anything else. Uh, Yeah. Like we elect entire city councils with like 15% of uh, the population. Um, The other parts would be that Oh, I'm going to piss off my poli-sci friends. The fact that I'm not <laughs> coming up with too many like ideas for this, but uh, I think they they don't like that the like two of the options uh, on the second ballot question technically haven't been done before. Uh, right. One of that is kind of disingenuous because like one of the systems is just a blend of two systems that have been used, mm. uh, and then the other one is. Uh, this is the one that I was actually watching a video for right before we started this call for dual member proportional. Um, that one was invented uh, by a University of Alberta math graduate student. And I still don't un- entirely understand it. And I hope the guy's not <laughs> listening to this. He's been quite vocal yeah. on Twitter also. He's been kind of great because there's a couple of times where Bill Thielman, who's the main guy on the no side, uh, yeah. once was criticizing dual member. And then some guy in his replies was criticizing him. And Tillman told him, like, he was explaining the system back to him and why it was bad. And it turned out it was the guy who invented it. Uh, <laughs> and that happens all the time with this guy. Um, yeah. It's a, just a bit of a more mathy system that, like, I think voters just kind of are going to have a hard time understanding, like, a few of the systems. And mm-hmm. uh, what's ended up happening is that I see people more focused on the second question than the first question, which is mm. not ideal. Because uh, yeah. even I don't understand one of these systems, to be honest. Um, yeah, uh, it's a lot more important the first one gets answered. But I guess in general, for the for why this is bad, it's it's not a very long referendum. Uh, is what a lot of political science have said. Um, mm. Scientists have said. Um, yeah, one of the systems is quite confusing, and I the main problem that people have is that there hasn't been a lot of clarity on what the uh, the map will look like after the election. And there are a few things that are going to have to be determined by mm-hmm. uh, 
by the entire legislature itself, which is run by the NDP and Greens right now. So naturally, right. it's going to be an NDP Green decided uh, system. Uh, and that has some problems with it, but that's just kind of what there's no other way around it, really. Uh, mm-hmm. And as for the map stuff, like that's been a huge gripe on the no side. Like we don't know what the ridings are going to look like. Well, Elections BC takes like years to come up with those maps. And that's just impossible to do that uh, mm-hmm. within within the time frame given uh, to get this thing done. And the maps were going to change under first past the post anyways in like a couple years just because of the census. So, uh, but yeah, that's been one of the things where on the yes side, we don't really, besides saying the elections BC thing, we don't really have much of an answer. We're just right. there is uncertainty. Uh, yeah. But we think whatever uncertainty that there is going to be, it's going to be a hell of a lot better than what we have now. And you, you mentioned before, and uh, this is obviously like something that would be good, is that it, it would open up the possibility of sort of more um, left-wing candidates or sort of, uh, you know, parties that uh, can address things like climate change or that kind of thing. Uh, the likes of, you know, Bill Tillman and, and others on that side will argue it's sort of the inverse. It'll, it'll open up the possibility of sort of like far-right parties. Uh, right. Do you do you buy that that line or what's kind of your, your what's your response to that? Um, my response has been like, are you afraid of uh, the fascists with power or are you afraid of fascists just shouting? Um, right. I want them all to be out of existence, but yeah. I would much rather them not have any power. And one yeah. awesome, like, just one thing that like gave me a lot of clarity was uh, when we went back to somebody at CCPA, Alex Hemingway, who's an awesome writer when it comes to public finance and housing. Um, he f- like read through the Nuremberg trials because uh, oh. he knew there was some talk about electoral systems there. Um, and I think I forget who it was. I think it was Hitler's second command. I'm not a World War II buff, but he yeah, said yeah. that uh, uh, I think it was Goering. Um, I think he said that if we had uh, the UK or the US's system, we would have gotten in power. Uh, we've had twice as much power twice as fast. Um, well, and that was pretty jarring to see just them admit. And then it was also that, well, the UK and the US pretty much had uh, free reign to design Germany's public institutions uh, in in mm-hmm. post-war. And mm-hmm. they didn't decide their own system to use. Like their mm-hmm. point was, we have to denazify, uh, uh, we have to denazify Germany. Uh, yeah. So let's build an electoral system where that can't happen again. And so they right. went with uh, a variant of MMP, mixed member proportional, which is on our ballot. Um, mm. And so it just, it's not great for, for fascists uh, going towards mixed member proportional or any proportional system. First past the post yeah. gives them a lot of power. But yeah, coming back to like the kind of basic point there, uh, fascists can ha- like, will always be around in some way in our mm-hmm. politics, but in our electoral system, uh, when it comes to first past the post systems, uh, they're looking for power. They're not looking to just have a voice. And so mm-hmm. they go to uh, major mainstream conservative parties, and they've done that very successfully in Canada and in mm-hmm. Canadian provinces. And they infiltrate that. It's pretty easy to infiltrate a political party. Uh, yeah. It costs like five bucks to join a party. And if you can get enough uh, folks in there, you can really uh, turn the dial. And mm-hmm. obviously, we all know it's pretty simple to turn a regular federal conservative uh, policy platform into one that reeks of fascism. Yeah. And, and uh, so 
with that, they can get 100% of power uh, without even getting that many votes. Uh, you only need 30 to 39% to like win a majority government in Canada. And you can mm-hmm. do whatever the hell you want with that. And so, which, which is what we just saw in Ontario, right? Exactly. Like Doug Ford is, yeah. And it's yeah. Like, and it seems a bit disingenuous for people to be like, oh, PR is going to lead us down this dangerous road. And then there's Doug Ford who just yesterday, you know, like the party passed a resolution about gender identity and everything. It's like, uh, this This seems like everyone's worst nightmare and every, uh, like, what everyone is fear-mongering about, right? So Yeah, so do you want them to have power or do you want them to just exist uh, right. and not have power? And so it's a pretty yeah. clear option for me. Um, yeah. Whereas in PR systems, they get a voice, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. Especially in national systems, you will see a few of those parties exist. Uh, they're mm-hmm. usually in the corners and sometimes they do like... Uh, throw down in the news and like get, get a lot of coverage. Part of that right. is up to whether the news wants to cover them. Um, yeah. But a lot of that has to do with the economic systems that you have in your politics. Like if if, if you're a country that just slides deeply into neoliberalism, it's you're going to end up having these parties gain some power. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not an electoral systems problem. It's it's an economic mm-hmm. problem. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so it comes it comes down to us having to deal like it comes down to us recognizing that they might exist. You might get a couple of parties that are just absolute nutcases, um, mm-hmm. but they're not going to get any power into the system. But then the other thing is, we're talking about a province. Uh, provincial powers, like, as much as we just did talk about Ontario and, and just how radically right-wing their new government is, mm-hmm. uh, there's not too much space for them to talk about immigration uh, and, yeah. like, Yes, they talk about welfare. Yes, they'll talk about education systems. But it's not the mm-hmm. same as when you're talking about national legislatures where um, mm-hmm. the stakes are a lot higher. Um, yeah. There's not too many parts of BC politics where I could see them gain a foothold. There are some. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, the stakes are not going to be extremely high. But mm-hmm. I don't want to sound like Jen Gerson and be like, nobody's going to get hurt. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, no, no doubt. Relax, it'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I would also buy that line more if I saw like Bill Thielman actually, um, you know, pushing for anti-fascist organizing outside of like just using this as kind of like a, uh, you know, like a straw man argument. Oh, like, that would I, I don't rule. feel like, yeah, yeah, and yeah, Antifa Bill. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the people who raise that kind of concern about proportional representation systems are like they're the kind of people who think that you can only defeat fascism by voting and yeah, electorally. Absolutely. And it's like by the time the fascists are gaining um like an electoral foothold, we are very far gone. You know, mm-hmm. like there's a lot of stuff that we should be doing and that lots of people are doing before then mm-hmm. that ideally and often um makes like electoral struggles over fascism moot like it stops before that happens mm-hmm. so. yeah. yeah yeah definitely yeah it's um, wild to see in places like like it's the electoral system doesn't solve that like you see mm-hmm. i think the terms like what pesachification or something of just how the social democratic party is just like turned so far into neoliberalism that yeah it just gives space for these fascists to rise up and so Absolutely. pr doesn't necessarily ensure that you have a strong committed left either. Uh, mm-hmm. Like it's, it's definitely not like, it's not so, like 
going for this because I'm a lefty, it's not going to lead to uh, the left rising or anything. It's just kind of a necessary condition for us to get what we need to happen. And it, it does seem like that you, you'd like there would be the possibility for even like a couple of you know far left candidates to to get elected in this kind of system. Um, like you know, like every election you see like the Communist Party or whatever run their candidates, and obviously they get like maybe 100 to 200 votes. Not saying that yeah. that is a party that we would all want to vote for, but, you know, like, maybe it is. Um, but, you know, like, maybe that maybe that would encourage more people to vote for candidates if they actually felt like, you know, uh, their vote mattered and, you know, like all those kind of slogans. Because it, it, is, it is tough to go to the polls and be like, oh, if I vote for this, like, left-wing candidate who actually has principles, uh, it might uh, give more traction to the right because I'm not voting for sort of the harm reduction candidate. And like those kind of calculations that people make can be super shitty. Right. Yeah. Um, Um, and I, I I think it does breed apathy too. Cause you're like, ah, fuck. Like I, I just feel gross about this. Yeah. There's some just cause it's on top of my head. There's some stuff when I studied under Richard Johnson at UBC about how like when it comes to like far rights getting power, like, yeah, sometimes there can be, like just just a couple of them, but there is a calculation uh, that parties will have to like uh, voters will purposely sometimes choose the further right parties to ha- to like um, pressure their favorite. Mm. Like, say you're a more center right uh, voter, um, yeah, and me. you're in a PR system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. And you aren't happy with your conservative party, your your federal conservatives or whatever that type of party. Mm-hmm. And so you might actually make a calculated decision um, to vote for the fascists, uh, even mm-hmm. though perhaps maybe you're not a fascist. I think you probably are mm-hmm. anyways. Um, but uh, to send a signal to, to that more mainstream party to move right. further right. right. And sometimes you actually, because of that, you might see uh, like a few more seats get added, uh, mm-hmm. but still they rarely ever gain like actual power. And they'll, mm-hmm. if they were ever to be part of a coalition, they would, they would never actually be the major party of that coalition and never have that much power. Um, right. But when it comes to, just to pivot to the left stuff, uh, when it comes to yeah. PR... It reminded me of like a Tristan Hopper column, which I just loathed the other day. But like the <laughs> subheading of it was just like, oh, suddenly you're going to have people voting for Communist Party of the Fraser Valley in BC. And I was like, what's wrong yeah. with this article so far? Like, I'm loving this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> this but, is a strong endorsement, Tristan. <laughs> yeah, like who, Tristan, like I didn't know you were like this. Like <laughs> um, the uh, what I'm really curious about, and like I would love to write an article about this uh, if I had time, um, yeah. but like what's going to happen to the left in BC? Because British Columbia's uh, left wing is so divided between its sort of, well, now that we have a real Green Party, we would call it the brown and green wings of the NDP, uh, right. the, the resource extraction side of it, um, mm. uh, which has a lot more power in labor unions in BC, uh, mm. versus the more coastal. Uh, more environmentalist, more urban le- uh, lefties over here. Um, right. Between those two sides, uh, like this NDP is a, as a lot of people talk about the BC Liberals as like a feisty coalition between two sides that really don't like each other. Uh, mm-hmm. I see the current NDP like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but and it'll be really interesting to see how things lay out when both those sides can actually make their own choice. Uh, mm-hmm. I do think that in a provincial system where it's uh, stakes are smaller and it's just a smaller electoral system that we won't see the NDP like die or anything. It will still probably be the main left wing party. Um, mm-hmm. But it'll be interesting to see um, if a more like democratic socialist party or a more totally. just sort of uh, more environmentalist eco-socialist party arises um Mm -hmm. and then what what does that do to the green party like Mm. the green party could just become the center party it seems a lot of like urban centrists like love the green party uh uh, and we can talk about that when it comes to the vancouver election like there's a lot of centrist environmentalists uh who wouldn't call themselves eco-socialists um Mm -hmm. and so they might turn more to the green party away from the bc liberal party um Mm -hmm. And just like, yeah, what happens to the left? Like, I have dreams of some, like, eco-socialist left growing in BC and us having that choice, but I'm really curious how the rest of the cards lie. But mm-hmm. no matter what, the, the research really spells out that under PR, though, left parties form government more. They don't necessarily mm-hmm. always lead government, but they're part of government a lot more. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to leave them out. And especially... And, uh, like centrist parties will probably be the norm uh, under pro rep. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is that that way in most pro rep uh, countries, um, unfortunately. But it does keep the right out of power as well. Yeah. Uh, less yeah. less right wing parties win power at all. Um, yeah. And so that's a big benefit there. And totally. because and because the left is always a part of it, the left will always be uh, is always forcing the rest of the political spectrum to work with them. And so mm-hmm. every major policy that comes out, there will always be at the table. Uh, mm-hmm. The same thing goes for the, for the right. The right will partially always have, or the center right at least, will always have some sort of seat at the table. Um, but in, <laughs> to, to start things off, like we're probably going to need it to be like that for a little while. But the benefit, mm-hmm. like I've, I had this one article that I'm trying to write uh, that uh, I have to like suck in my gut to write because it's the pro-business case for pro-rep. And I hate writing the terms in there, talking about market yeah. stability and stuff. But totally. it's true because, like, like I said, like you can't solve problems like in just four years. And if you're, I guess, if you're an investor, um, you want to know what's going to happen in four years. And what seems mm-hmm. to happen every time a government changes is that all the rules change. Um, uh, businesses, investors, small businesses, uh, they have no idea what's going to happen. And mm-hmm. there's a huge coordination problem. But what ends up happening in pro-rap governments is um, because everybody's... Uh, governments don't rapidly change. There's no lurch effects happening. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when a, when a f- four-year budget gets passed or, or just like a long-term economic policy gets passed, it's probably going to stick around. It's not going to suddenly change. But, mm-hmm. if, but it all comes down to the voter, though, in the end. This is a proportional system. If the voters yeah. really hate... Uh, who's in charge, they will throw the bums out. There just has to be a majority of voters who make that decision. And I think that's more fair. So some people are upset when they hear like, um, oh, policies last longer under pro-rep. And like, you know, uh, think about something like the the Tories in Ontario. Like, I don't want this trans trans policy to last long. Uh, Mm -hmm. But the difference is that the policies that get made in the first place require a lot more cooperation. So everybody's hands are on it. And mm-hmm. another thing that happens is you get climate legislation that actually lasts long, that doesn't just get right. suddenly overturned. So 
Yeah. Yeah. Benefits all around, cool. to be honest. So you're telling me we can we can uh, have a greater chance of imposing uh, five year socialist plans? How <laughs> give how give market stability to small businesses? <laughs> the, yeah, the five year plan for like I don't know the car wash owners and stuff. Yeah. Like that's how that's how I've been. My dad's a car wash guy, and so, oh, nice. so that's how I've been trying to justify it to him. Cool. Yeah, well, uh, if it's cool, you um, let's touch quickly on sort of like what just happened with the, the Vancouver election, to, you know, to speak of sort of center-right yep. and Greens and all that kind of thing. Um, it did seem like I'm definitely not uh, a Vancouver City Council uh, wonk or anything, but it did seem like people were pretty pleased with the results. Um, Gene Swanson got in, um, and there are, what, four Greens? Um, but I also heard some sort of critiques of maybe that's not such a good thing. Uh, what's kind of your read on it? I think in a really twisted way, uh, progressives, generally Vancouver voters, are going to miss the hell out of the Vision Vancouver Party. And I hated well, tweeting that for uh, two minutes until I deleted it because a bunch of like Vision people <laughs> like started like retweeting it and liking it. I'm like, no. oh, that's not what I mean. You guys did cause this mess. Like you're the reason yeah. we're here. Um, yeah. But the fact is, like in the last few years, because Vision. Uh, was a pretty big ten party and had a lot of power. They were able to pass some good policies. Uh, hmm. They were extremely hesitant to do anything on housing, and they should be ashamed for what they did. To be honest, mm-hmm. however, in the last couple of years, we did have some great progress in terms of temporary modular housing, uh, hmm. in terms of uh, just a lot more investment in social housing coming near the end. And we had a great rezoning plan that just came out, where pretty much all of the single-family housing in the city, which is a ma- vast majority of our, our housing in the city, and a part of why we have such a bad housing crisis um Mm -hmm. they rezoned a lot of that for like uh multifamily housing and stuff but this new party uh sorry the this new council actually has me pretty scared that all of that is going to die and and making me kind of feel happy that i'm not living in that city for for the next three three to four years um, mm-hmm. this Green Party that just got elected, and God bless the Vancouver voter who was uh, apparently, polling said, afraid of the IPCC report by the UN. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, which was just about a week or two right before uh, this election. Oh, okay. And so the environment, and, and also with smog this summer, uh, hmm. Vancouver had, we lost our August, and we're going to lose our summers in the future because of, uh, in the short-term future, um, because of the forest fires that we have all across BC. And so I think the environment was high on the mind of Vancouver voters. And so they just saw the green, uh, just the green party running and it hates the greens. They're, they're environmentalists, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. But as you come to learn pretty quickly, environmentalism is a pretty broad movement. And a lot of, I mean, looking at BC province, for example, like m- the leader of the green party comes from the richest part of Vancouver Island, uh, where it's all single family, all single family, pretty rich homes. Um, hmm. Just the green movement in BC is for them is pretty split between the neoliberal uh, uh, environmentalists um, who pretty much just want to make sure that their street is lined well with trees and that they have some access to parks and they have some views, um, as long as it also benefits their property values. Um, hmm. So these are just like boomers who like Al Gore, I guess. Um, right. Whereas the rest of us are eco-socialists who want to protect the forests and who want to protect, uh, uh, just, just who who want to radically decommodify our carbon our carbon economy and decarbonize mm-hmm. our economy, mm-hmm. and uh, so at a municipal level, there's like municipal politics is hard to have substantive policy discussions uh, across 
the population. There's not a lot of media coverage of it. Uh, most of it's on the horse race. Very little of it's on policy. Uh, and this Green Party is mostly is mostly folks who in the past have been opposed to densifying Vancouver uh, Mm -hmm. to make it a more sustainable city to live in, uh, opposed to rezoning, uh, opposed to a lot of social housing and stuff, uh, all because they want to protect heritage homes and stuff like that. Adrian Carr, who's one of the city council, uh, who's who's the main, I think, I would say the leader of the Green Caucus in council, um, she gets more votes than whoever the mayor is elected that year uh, on city council. Uh, If she ran for mayor, she would easily win. Um, But outside her council door is all these posters of like, um, oh, look at what's going to happen to Vancouver if you get rid of our heritage homes. Like that's her biggest issue. Um, (laughs) And she, during the vision council, like she was constantly understood as like, uh, a no voter on everything uh, progressive that Vision was trying to do. Um, wow. If like, and there's a couple other green candidate uh, councillors in there. Uh, mm-hmm. I think there's three others, and two of them, I, I'd say all of them are pretty much in line with Adrian Carr. Um, mm-hmm. One of them, Pete Fry, I have some hope for. Uh, he also happens to be the only person of color on council. He's half Trinidadian. Wow. Sorry, okay. he's half West Indian, as far as I know. Yeah. Um, b- and his voter base is mostly in the downtown east side, it seems. And so mm-hmm. if, any, if anybody's going to turn, it might be him. Mm-hmm. But in general, so we have a mostly NPA count, or half of them are, are conservatives. Uh, mm-hmm. A big chunk of them are these Greens who are not progressive in any way when it comes to municipal policy. Um, and the other two are extremely awesome socialist women uh, who I love and adore, uh, Christine Boyle and Jean Swanson. They both rock. Uh, they're both uh, people that I think are going to do incredible things. Uh, Jean Swanson is going to be amazing at basically just crashing, having like hordes of people crash council consultations when it comes to talking about social housing and stuff. Like, amazing. She's going to be three counselors in one when it comes to yeah. uh, the presence that she's just going to have. And so it's gonna be, it's like I was pretty sad when I realized that it was the Greens who won all this. Like mm-hmm. I think Vancouver voters really liked the way Vision was turning on their like they they wanted Vision to go and it's Vision's fault that that happened. Um mm-hmm. but a lot of voters were seemed to be the 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 dial was turning towards opening up densification and mm-hmm. opening and uh, building a lot more temporary and modular housing, which is odd. Like I don't know if you guys know what that is. Just a quick primer. It's like you just build really cheap housing on random like public owned land, and okay, right. it's like it's almost like college dorms, but they're pretty good quality, um, right. and they get built within like three months. Uh, wow. And that was like popping up all over the city, and it was really exciting to see. Um, just like action being taken so fast and it was directly for the poorest amongst Vancouverites and that's probably not going to happen anymore Um, and that was uh, that's just a tragic thing to realize and I really feel like the voter in Vancouver was up for that they were were down for more of that Um, and but they thought the Greens were a progressive party that were just going to continue that and Mm. um, hopefully I'm wrong hopefully um, the Vancouver voter pressures them to be the party that they wanted to vote for. Um, but that's not who they are. Um, mm-hmm. Cope and One City, who are the progressive parties in Vancouver, uh, and to some extent a couple of vision candidates, were the ones that they probably should have voted for if they wanted more of that um, mm-hmm. and less of the more development, developer-friendly politics of vision Vancouver. Uh, yeah. 
but we didn't get them and we might have to wait four years and i think this housing crisis is just going to get a lot worse in vancouver if the province doesn't just radically make up for it and Mm -hmm. they seem to you know, we, we, I think we got 5,000 new units of housing across the province just announced the other day. Um, and that's great. Um, mm-hmm. But we're, the, the feds in the province are going to kind of have to pull the weight that they're supposed to pull, uh, which they haven't been doing for like 30 years um, to make up for what the city is not going to be doing. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be a rough go on city council. Um, we have a good mayor, uh, Kennedy Stewart. Um, mm-hmm. He's... I'm not too confident on, in him on housing, um, but he is a lot more progressive than most of council, uh, mm-hmm. besides Swanson and Boyle. But yeah. uh, he's got a bully pulpit, and hopefully he finds a way to shame the Greens into voting for progressive housing. But mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I'm scared of Vancouver politics. I didn't think it would actually be this bad, and I didn't think well, it would be because the Greens uh, would win so much. So I think I have one last question, and... I just realized a few minutes ago that we probably should have asked this early on. No worries. Ask it at the end. And <laughs> later is better than never. Um, <laughs> can you like give us a bit of a rundown of what each of the the um, proportional representation models that are on offer in the referendum what they are? Just give me your skill testing question. Yeah. See, yeah. see how well you know it. Oh, God. Um, so, so the first two. Um, one is uh, mixed member proportional, MMP. It's, uh, it's the choice that's been nationally favored uh, by the federal NDP as well. Um, it's the choice that... Uh, so this system is uh, basically we just keep two-thirds of what we have in first-past-the-post. So everybody still gets like a local candidate. And if... Uh, whoever gets the most votes in that race wins a seat. Um, but they fill up 60% of the legislature. The other 40% is basically you top up uh, based off of people vote a second time. So mm-hmm. it, so if you're a voter, you have a ballot, you have two choices. One is for your, your local candidate. And uh, the second one is for I, probably a party. Um, maybe not, but it's probably going to be end up being like your party vote uh, in the end. And so even if your local candidate doesn't win in the usual first-past-the-post system, um, your vote will still end up leading towards a party candidate of your choice. And so no matter what, uh, if 20% are voting uh, for the Greens, 20% of the legislature will be Green. Um, Hmm. And this is a system that's been used for, um, I think it's been used in Germany since the 50s. Um, it's been used in New Zealand uh, since the 1990s, and our referendum looks pretty closely similar to what New Zealand did in the 90s, including having a kind of try-before-you-buy referendum where mm-hmm. they actually get a second vote in, like, two election periods to see mm-hmm. if we want to go back to the old system. Yeah. Um, and also, like, Lesotho, Botswana, I think, and a couple other countries, um, and to some extent some Asian countries like Taiwan. Um, so it's the most tried and tested system. Uh, and then there's rural urban proportional, um, which is MMP for rural BC. But if you live in Vancouver, if you live in Victoria or Kelowna, you get STV, which is single transferable voting. And it's basically, you're going to have like five representatives and you rank, uh, between all your choices. And so Hmm. no matter what, you're going to have some impact on who represents you. And if your legislature, if you don't like your legislature, uh, like your first choice, 
amongst the people who like won, then you always have like three or four more to choose from. Um, so it's good if people like ranking their ballots and ensuring that you know everybody's rep- well represented. Uh, there's mm-hmm. some trickiness depending on how many actual people win uh, in each or how many representatives you actually get to keep it proportional. Uh, but that's like deep political science stuff that I don't totally understand that well to explain. Um, that one's kind of an issue for me because we would be treating the whole province as two electoral systems in a weird way. Right. Um, the outcome would still be proportional, but there might be some, uh, s- some weird stuff where like urban BC, I don't know. I like, as an advocate, I don't like telling people that ur- like to a rural person that urban BC gets this extra special system, um, where you get like more representation because you get more, uh, legislatures working for you and i i would just like i don't like to flatten issues but like i don't really want to flatten my or i would rather have a more flat democratic system where um somebody in northwest corner of the province like knows that they have the system as somebody in vancouver and there's a a lot of like bc provincial politics is talking about oh the folks down in vancouver get to run the show even though our electoral system gives all the power to the rural uh rural Mm. bc Especially if you're conservative, um, right. but uh, it just it just kind of it just kind of stinks to me. Um, and the fact that the system is called rural urban proportional has led a lot of people to just assume it's uh, a system that's like the best one for rural BC. And so I'm kind of worried that that one's going to win, um, even though it's all going to be better anyways. Like yeah, regardless, this is going to be a better system. Um, yeah. And then the last systems, this mass system where it's pretty similar to MMP, but you get only one vote. And there's some, it's, it's like there's every riding becomes, uh, uh, we combine all our ridings. Uh, so there's like two, two uh, representatives per, per, per district. And so you've, on the ballot, you have two names instead of one, but you only have one check mark. And okay. the whoever is on the top, like, I think it's like a first past the post election where whoever gets the most votes wins, uh, and that fills up like sixty percent of the seats or something, and then the rest is filled out um, by whoever. <laughs> Look, I don't know how to explain no. the system. <laughs> I no, feel so no, bad I even good. tried, um, but regardless, the benefits I will mention is that it leads to more proportionality than the rest of them. Uh, mm. I don't exactly know how, but yeah. I know that it technically, by math and science, it is better. Um, I, but I doubt it's going to win because I don't think a lot of people are voting for it. I don't hear a lot yeah. of people talking about it. And so I haven't even been trying to understand it that deeply just because I know it's a little bit of a lost cause. Um, yeah, we, we, know inc- that math, we know that math and science are the things that get people hyped and coming out to the polls and stuff. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> I have a gripe with like people who are like as as like uh, apparently an expert in electoral reform, uh, only because I've like slightly read about the topic. Um, yeah. <laughs> a lot of other experts on electoral reform who aren't academics tend to be weird, like like math geeks and stuff, and right. like the, the folks who come out to a lot of electoral system stuff, like yeah, just just tend to be these people who view politics in terms of math and science uh, rather than just kind of in moral terms and stuff. And right, right. like <clears throat> they, they would, pr- they're probably pretty excited about DMP and I'm not going to hate on the system too much. Um, yeah. if, oh, that's kind of dumb yeah. to say after all this, but um, <laughs> like this is the choice for them. Um, 
and uh, good on them for you know being devoted to the issue. And yeah, uh, they're all voting yes, hopefully. But uh, yeah, there's there's some folks I usually just don't kind of want to be in the same room with when it comes to this issue. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, cool. So, so when when we all um, road trip to to BC to illegally vote in this referendum, yeah. um, should we do? Uh, should we go for MMP? Is that the feeling I'm getting? I'm going MMP, RUP, then okay. DMP. Uh, okay. But this is way more time than anybody should spend thinking about the second right, question. Right. Um, yeah. <clears throat> everybody listening to this who's like on the fence, maybe just it's that first question. That's the only thing yeah. that matters. Um, the second question is just about what road you take to PR. Um, yeah. Sometimes the road is a little bit more bumpy. Uh, sometimes it's, uh, it's got a, a more options for the voter. Um, mm-hmm. But regardless, uh, we are <laughs> progressives in BC are going to be pretty happy, uh, should deserve to be really happy if this electoral reform referendum wins. Uh, yeah. We can finally just have real climate legislation that lasts um, we can have housing policy that doesn't just lurch between left and right uh, mm-hmm. and mostly to the right um, so often. Uh, we could have 30 years of straight social housing just being built. And maybe mm-hmm. it's not as much as we would get if somehow the NDP were to win for 30 years, but that never happens in BC. Uh, mm-hmm. So funding for social and public education institutions will be stable. Uh, yeah. And in pretty much every PR country, uh, Funding for all these things is higher, uh, even though our economies are basically the same uh, in terms mm-hmm. of uh, GDP. Uh, GDP is usually higher for uh, pro-rep company, uh, countries. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, if, you're, if your issues are, are schools, if your issue is healthcare funding, if your issues are housing, uh, mm-hmm. we can't solve these issues for the long term. And they can only be solved in the long term without a system that respects the long term. Well, thanks so much for coming on and um, sharing your, your thoughts on this. Where can people find your stuff if they're looking to check out more of your, uh, your insights on the subject? So first, uh, the work I've done at the uh, Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives uh, at the BC office at uh, policynote.ca slash PR4BC. Um, cool. That's where I've done a lot of work with Seth Klein over there. Um, And then you can read uh, me retweet a lot of stuff and have (laughs) random electoral reform takes on my Twitter feed. It's just Vyasaran, V-Y-A-S-S-A-R-A-N. And uh, I will hopefully stop tweeting about this goddamn subject soon so I can get back to like (laughs) just being depressed and stuff about hockey. Uh, Back to normal. Amazing. Well, yeah, thank you so much. Um, I love being on. Yeah, no, definitely, and uh, best best of luck with the uh, the referendum. And uh, yeah, like I said, we'll we'll see you uh, in the next week or so when we bring over our just so, the U yeah. just the U haul of envelopes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> can't wait. Sweet. All right, thanks, folks. Okay, see ya. Yeah.